0: You are listening to a Sunday Sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ in others, and grows together in our faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the second Sunday of Lent, March 8, 2020, by the Reverend William Seth Adams, liturgical consultant to St. Thomas. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John Glory to you, Lord Christ. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus a leader of the religious authorities He came to Jesus by night and said to him Rabbi we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: To you, Lord uh, it's a great privilege uh, for me to welcome for our host this morning uh, the Reverend William Seth Adams. Uh, Bill Adams uh, was my uh, liturgy teacher at the Seminary of the Southwest. And fortunately for us, uh, Bill and his uh, beloved Amy and retired to Ruby I. And in addition to being uh, Expert on liturgy. Bill is also one of the church's foremost experts on church architecture. And Bill was our consultant uh, in in the design and building of this project. And this is the day where you may recall that we were going to celebrate the design professionals, the
0: contractors, the craftspersons, and the the laborers. We were were postponing that. Uh, But I invite Bill to preach on on this day because it was was appropriate, it was meet and run.
1: So, Bill, I'm delighted to
0: share the pulpit with you this morning. We'll look forward to hearing your words. Thank you.
1: I want first to uh, bring you greetings from St. Stephen's Church on Whidbey Island, which is where we would be if we weren't here. Uh, greetings, blessings from them to you, and we'll take your good wishes home uh, when we go back. Um, Secondly, I want to uh, say that this is the first time that Amy Donahue and I have been in this room since it was finished. We visited a couple of times during the dusty times with the cabling all over and Mark Murray everywhere. Uh, But this is our first time to be here with it uh, finished and it's lovely and so are you. Lastly, before I begin my sermon, I want to share with you the fact that we live in the strangest of times. Uh, I'll be 80 years old in June and I don't remember a stranger time in my life. A time of more dislocation, uh, elbow bumping, <laughs> a waving, bowing, good wishes, but a sense of distance. And I mourn that and I'm not oblivious to it. So I begin, blessed be the name of God. I intend this morning to testify to you about the constancy of God, the continuous and uninterrupted constancy of God. To make that testimony I want to rely first upon the psalmist and then on John the evangelist. I believe the word they have to bring is a word that we need to hear. We have already sung and recited Psalm 121, one of the most beautiful and inspiring psalms in the whole collection. To reinforce the strength of this psalm, which is, in fact, Hebrew poetry, to reinforce the strength of this psalm, I'm going to ask you to do something special. At least once before, when I have preached here, I have sung during the sermon, and so have you. From that, I take courage to ask you to do that again. With the aid of Professor Cleveland and the mighty Wurlitzer, we're going to sing a metrical setting of this grand psalm. It's in your bulletin on the page next. It is Psalm 121, sent, set to meter. Rendition of the psalm is taken from the Psalms of David in meter dated 1650 it's not exactly the way we would put it in our day but the beauty of these words travels well over the 370 years that separate us now from them and the testimony my friends is sure Psalm 121 is not the only place where the psalmist, the poet, rehearses his confidence in the presence, even the persistence of God. In Psalm 139, where the psalmist seems to be trying to escape from God's constancy, there we read, Where can I go then from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. So the psalmist and the psalmist is sure. From gospel, uh, John's gospel this morning, we read, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. That's one verse, John three sixteen. In this very short compass, this is what we have to offer the world, what you and I have to offer anyone and everyone the announcement we have to make the love of God the generosity of God and the eternal companionship of God no matter what John tells us first about the love of God God so loved the world the Welsh poet R.S. Thomas wrote about this love in a poem entitled Making, M-A-K-I-N-G, Making. The speaker in the poem is God, and the time of the poem is creation. And having built it, I set about furnishing it to my taste. First moss, then grass annually renewed, animals to divert me, Faces stared in from the wild. I thought up the flowers, then birds. I found a bacteria sheltering in primordial darkness and called them forth to the light. Quickly, the earth teemed. Yet, still, an absence disturbed me. I slept and dreamed of a likeness fashioning it when I woke to a slow music, in love with it for itself, giving it freedom to love me, risking the disappointment. The God of creation, risking the disappointment, but loving us nonetheless, Indeed, the story of creation is a story entirely of God's love. And that love story coupled with the love God showed to humankind in the person of Jesus, how much more could we possibly ask? What could we hope for beyond the abundant and undefeatable love of God? Nothing, I venture to say. Frankly, we could ask for nothing more. The love of God expressed itself and continues to express itself in generosity, God's generosity. So we continue to read God so loved the world that he gave. God gave the world, God gave Jesus. That's what the gospel writer tells us. And we know that God gave us each other and gave us everyone we love and everyone who loves us. John got it right when he said that God gave us creation and gave us Jesus, but there's so much more to the story. Your life, my life are redolent with the evidences of God's generosity. The promise in our reading from the Gospel of John is that by God's love and God's generosity Everyone who believes in Jesus may not perish, but have eternal life. Familiar. But we have to be very careful here with the words that we choose and how we choose to hear the words we choose. Eternal life. You and I have doubtless attended enough funerals over the years to know that death is a profound reality. So clearly eternal life does not mean immortality. It doesn't mean not dying. Jesus died. My parents have died. My dear Amy's parents have died. Many of you, perhaps all of you, have friends or family who have died. These deaths are real. They're not illusory or imaginary or merely appearances. Death is death. What our faith teaches us is that death, however, is not the whole story. It's not the last word. Death is not the victor. Our faith teaches us that by the death and rising of Jesus, death has been overcome. Death does not triumph, that is for certain. But death, death also does not disappear. What we know is this, our death comes in the midst of our life with God. We die, you die, I die in the midst of our life with God. Our mortal life ends Our life with family and friends ends. Our life at the office or the golf club or at the hospital ends, but life with God does not end. Eternal life then you see is the name we give to the endless and eternal companionship we have with God. We die as others have died, but our life with God continues uninterrupted though now under new terms and conditions this is true but this being so i want to clean up something we often hear when someone dies it's the use of the word lost l-o-s-t lost that i want to address we might hear someone say i lost my parents in the early 90s meaning that they died in those years. I lost my sister two years ago, meaning that she died then, and so on and so on. You know the language, I suspect. I want to urge you to abandon that language. I want you to set aside that way of speaking and the way of thinking that's underneath it. It is true that when someone dies, we lose their earthly company. We will no longer have dinner with them, or morning coffee, or see them at church, bump elbows with them. Mm -hmm. We may not be with them first thing each morning. But in the economy of God, no one is lost. You may very well lose your car keys, I've heard of that, you may well lose something from memory I've heard of that too but in the economy of God nothing is lost here I want to uh, bring in the prophetic words of the Muppets (laughs) the scene is an operating room you're out there looking at the screen One Muppet is here, a nurse. Another Muppet is here, Dr. Bob. The nurse says, Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, I think we've lost him. Dr. Bob says, how can that be? He was here just a minute ago. (laughs) Do you get the point? No one is lost in the economy of God. The Gospel writer tells us that though we die, we will not perish. We will continue to enjoy the loving and generous companionship of God. John the evangelist tells us this, this remarkable word in full confidence. And it was very important to John in his time and place to give us Christians pride of place in God's affection, the first place in God's vision. And even when John says that God so loved the world, it becomes clear that the world to which John refers is the followers of Jesus. That is you and me, for John, we are the world. But as confident as I am about the promise God has made to us in Jesus, I'm also confident that God's love and God's generosity are not limited to us. This love, this generosity, they are not operational only within the narrow boundaries that include the likes of us. It is a much happier fact to realize that the love and generosity of God are available to each and all, to everyone, whomever, wherever and whenever. The world for which the Son of God was given is really and truly the world. However, narrowly John may have wanted to construe construe it in his time. If you were to attend my funeral, Whenever that will come, you will hear the beautiful words of the prophet Isaiah coming from chapter 25. The prophet tells us that at the time of the resolution of all things, when everything will be gathered up on the mountain of the Lord, there will be for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wines. Rich food filled with marrow, well-aged wines strained clear. And God will destroy on that mountain, the shroud, the shroud that is cast over all people, the sheet that is spread over all nations. The Lord will swallow up death forever. Take this to heart, my friends. In God's good time, at the resolution of all things, we will not be there alone. At that table, on the mountain of the Lord, miraculously, the feast will be there for everyone. That, my friends, is the constant promise of God, the maker of heaven and earth. Blessed be the name of God. Amen.
0: For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website, www.stthomasmedina.org. That's www.stthomasmedina.org.